This is your friendly neighborhood author, Jonathan, and you are listening to Season 5 of the Floor Rejects podcast, The Isle of Artemisia. Rejects podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood author reminding you that last week in our chapter, we got a lot of answers. We got answers as to why uh, Anaxos is on this island. We got answers as to why everyone around the island acts so oddly. We got answers as to the plant that kind of holds them all captive. Um, And we got a lot of clarification just on how the island works. Um, Besides that, we got a little bit of bonding, I guess you could say, between Anaxos and Barrett, and we got more questions by the end of it, and the biggest question is, is Barrett going to be the one to save his friends, or is somebody else going to have to do it because he'll be in too much danger? So without further ado, let's bring on chapter 9 of the Isle of Artemisia. Chapter 9, Lost. When Anaxos does go out the next day to further scout the area that Crystal, Daniel, and Nick were being kept in, Barrett attempted to follow him in a fit of independence. He thought he was being sneaky as he waited, following only the sounds of his newfound friend crashing through the undergrowth. He followed slowly, making sound only when Anaxos did, and only listening for him, not trying to stay within eyesight. But eventually the sounds of Anaxos fade, and he is alone out in the woods, confused as to what direction he came from. He stood still for a long while, listening to the sounds of the forest, sure he would find his guide if he listened hard enough, but there was no sound. He could not see Anaxos. Fuck, he whispers to himself, worried that he had gotten himself into something he couldn't get out of. Then he hears it, a distant crackling in the woods, and he heads towards it, sure it was Anaxos, just farther along than Barrett had considered. He follows the sound to his left, turning and creeping through the brush, trying to catch a glimpse of the man, but he doesn't see him, only hears him, the sound of him crunching through the leaves and branches. Eventually, he follows the sound into a clearing, and he stands there, waiting to see the man, but then the sound is behind him, the sound of crunching again. He spins, ready to scold Anaxos for scaring him, but he finds himself staring back at a huge red deer with massive antlers scraping trees on either side of the clearing. He freezes. The deer stares at him intensely, its ears twitching and fanning and flies from his eyes. Then, to bear its horror, its eyes pulse green and it takes a step forward. Its hooves are stomping hard near Barrett's shoes. Barrett backs up, petrified. The deer steps forward again and its eyes flash green again. He turns and bolts from the clearing, hoping to be heading in the right general direction of the beach. The deer takes off after him, its snorts signaling to him that he wasn't out running it easily. He smashes through trees, whips under branches, barely stopping to think, only hearing the sounds of breathing behind him as he rushes towards safety. His sides are splitting and his chest is heaving after a while, and just when he thinks he'll have to stop, his foot catches a root and he cartwheels forward, arms flailing and slams chest first into the earth. Oof, he gasps, spinning onto his back, expecting to be face to face with the deer, but there is nothing. He's alone, staring up at the canopy. Shit, he mutters, climbing up and looking around. He recognizes nothing. He has no idea where he is. He spins in circles, looking for a way to know where to go, but he finds none. 
He listens for the telltale snapping of twigs or rustling of leaves, but he knows he's completely alone after a few moments. He knew his next move was a crucial one. He had two choices. He could try and find his way back, or he could stay put. He isn't sure at first what to do, but he knows that the more he moves, the less likely he is to figure out where he was. And so he sits on the ground, puts his hands to the earth, and listens, doing his best to practice his anti-anxiety meditation. He breathes in and out, as calmly and evenly as possible, and he focuses. In the distance, through his right ear, he can hear the ocean, the sound of waves lapping up onto the beach, and he knows that is his way to safety. Calmly he stands, turns to his right, and begins to walk. He marches confidently through the bushes, walking towards the growling sound of the ocean, hoping he was headed towards his temporary home. He walks for a long time, and the sound of the beach does grow louder and louder, but before he reaches it, he comes upon a little spring. He smiles at the tinkling of it, and he bends down, ignoring the warning bells going off in his head regarding bacteria, and drinks. He loves the smell of the earthy water, and it tastes delicious. He gulps it down, happy to know that he would be able to get his own water from now on. Then he continues on, leaves underfoot until he knows he has to be close, but he cannot find the source of the sound. He keeps on walking and walking until finally he falls out onto the beach. But he doesn't see Anaxos, and he doesn't see the hut. The beach is covered in detritus. There were bottles and barrels, clothes and trash strewn across it. Oh God, he murmurs, standing and staring out into the distance. As far as the beach stretched, there was trash everywhere. He had no idea what to do, but he tries to think rationally. The beach had to lead around in a big circle, and so he begins to walk. He was tired and a little bit scared, but he knew that as long as he stayed quiet and on his toes, he would be okay. He walks for a long time. The sun eventually passes overhead and his stomach growls. He knows he needs to eat, but he was useless when it came to food. He knew that much. So he kept walking and walking, and finally, he gives up, plopping on the sand and wondering where Anaxos would find him first, or maybe the others would. He was tired, but he pressed on, crawling up onto his knees and back to his feet. He groans and moves forward, slowly making his way around the island until finally he finds his way all the way back to his starting point. As the hut comes into his view, he picks up his pace, running full speed at it, and just as he gets close to the cloth covering the opening, a rustling comes from the edge of the forest. Barrett, Anaxos hisses as he comes crashing through the woods. Hey, Barrett yelps, trying to smile casually. It doesn't work. Anaxos looks at him suspiciously. Where you been? Anaxos asks. Just down the beach. An an X, he breathes. You could get caught out here, the other man says, not seeming to see anything wrong. I know. I will be careful, Barrett says, still out of breath. I saw your friends. They are safe for now. I will try to get them tonight, Anaxos says, and Barrett nods. I'm coming with you, he insists. Anaxos scoffs and rolls his eyes. Stay in the hut. I have something to do. I will be back soon, the island dweller instructs, and Barrett obediently goes into the hut, not willing to push his luck. He sits down, pondering how his life had gotten so screwed up so fast, but soon he grows bored of that line of thought. When Anaxos doesn't return quickly, he goes to the curtain blocking his view and slides it to the side. When he doesn't see anyone, he ventures further, sticking his head out. Then he catches a sight that has him frozen in place. 
Anaxo stands facing the horizon, completely nude in the surf, a small bucket in his hand. Water rushes up round his muscular thighs as he stands completely still for a moment. Barrett cannot move his eyes away. He knows he should, but he can't look elsewhere as the man begins to bend over his taut, rounded backside up in the air while he catches water in his pail. He then dumps the water over his head, letting it run in tantalizing rivulets down his back. His hair runs like glistening snakes down his wide shoulders, and as his body flexes in the water while he runs his hands through his hair, Barrett can feel a tugging in his core. He knows this was wrong, but something about the man was holding his attention. The man in the water begins to turn, tossing his hair back, and Barrett ducks inside the hut, scared to get caught as a peeping tom. He flops back down on the bed, waiting for Anaxos to return, trying to put out the vision of the man's ass from his mind. This was not the time to get caught up in some sort of strange savior crush. Eventually, Anaxos returns, ruffling his wet hair as he steps into the cool, dark room. Barrett, how did your friends end up here? Anaxos says, sitting on his own bed. Barrett gulps as he fights to ignore the way Anaxos' stomach rolls on itself as he leans over the edge of his bed. We found someone who was willing to take us swimming. He brought us out into the sea to dive, but then there was a storm. First, the others came for our guide, Nick. Then the engine wouldn't work, and they took Crystal. Then the sails were shredded and Daniel was taken. Then there was another storm, and they tried to take me. Finally, the ship sank, and you found me, Barrett explains, and Anaxos nods. Barrett takes the moment to ask a question that had been burning in the back of his mind. How did you know I was like you? Why did you come for me? Barrett asks. Anaxos takes a while to answer. I could tell by your fight. You did not give in to them, he says, and Barrett nods. He was aware that Anaxos could tune in on others when he wanted. They are quiet for a long time, and then Anaxos says something completely unprompted. You can call me X. My friends, they called me X, he says. Are we friends, X? Barrett asks, for the first time on his horrible trip giving in to a bit of ribbing and lightheartedness. I don't see another choice. We are stuck here, he says, and Barrett laughs, but X smiles. Barrett decides that look suits him. His lightness fades quickly, though, and Barrett turns serious. How do we get off this island, X? He questions. Again, there's a long pause. I do not. I've been here so long. I must stay. I do not know how you get away. No one ever has, he says, and Barrett has to follow up. Is that because they don't want to, or because they can't? Both, Anaxo says. He's dead serious. Barrett nods. He was losing steam as the day wore on, more and more nervous that even if his friends were rescued, they would just end up all stuck together in this little hut, cowering in fear from the others, hoping that someone would come looking for them. The problem was, no one even knew where to look. They hadn't told anyone where they were going, and even if they had, no one would find any evidence as to where they went off before they left the dock. The only thing that might trace back to them was the boat, and it was now resting in pieces at the bottom of the sea. As the sun began to set that day, and the time to rescue draws closer, Barrett grows more and more despondent, and when Anaxos approached him, his eyes pulsing green, Barrett was unsure whether it was even worth it to try.
what are some things I like about this chapter? Well, I like that it's a short chapter. Not every chapter has to be 10,000 pages long. Sorry if you can hear my chinchilla running around in the background. He's chosen now to become an exercise queen. Um, I like that this chapter is a little bit slower and that there's not quite so much going on and it's a little bit more of Barrett on his own because we haven't spent much time with Barrett by himself except when he was on the boat alone. Um, so I like that we get a Barrett of Barrett's kind of impulses and intuition playing a part in this chapter and not just him following along with someone else's directions. Um, I like that Anaxos lets Barrett know that he has a nickname that he had in a life before this, that he had friends before all this happened to him. Um, I think that gives him a little bit of humanity and a little less kind of creepy, weird island person who we don't really understand or relate to. Um, what else do I like? I like the continuation that I've been trying to, to do between chapters that in between the chapters now, they kind of just pick up where the last one left off and there's no, um, it doesn't have to be a different day. It doesn't have to be a different time. It doesn't have to be anything. It's just kind of, here's where we left off. Let's pick up with a different paragraph, really. Um, and I think that if I were to be like a story editor or someone who wrote these things and then edited them for publishing um, with like a big publishing house with lots of people, they would probably tell me to condense down those chapters and to smush them all together. And that might work for just a strictly written story. But it's a little bit harder when you're reading a story to cram all this information over 20, 30 minutes. And I found that when I'm listening to stories, storytelling type of podcasts, when the story gets too long, it kind of just starts to drone in the back of your head and you don't hear what's going on. And so I think breaking this down into more manageable chapters, you don't lose focus as easily. And you kind of remember more accurately what happened, where you've been, um, what the situation is, because you're not dealing with 30 minutes of audio every time that's strictly uh, storytelling. Sorry, I didn't even know my chinchilla could dig like this, and now he's decided to. Klaus. Come here. Come here. It's been a one for the day. What? It's been a day for the books, everybody. Um, some other things I like about this chapter is I like that Barrett doesn't follow Anaxos' directions and he follows him. Well, he doesn't follow his directions, but he follows him into the woods. And it gets him in trouble. There's consequences for our characters. And that was something that I've kind of been toying around with the idea of um, a little bit with this story because I've noticed that in the stories that I've written in the past, there's not really any consequences. Uh, I mean, there are consequences, of course. Characters face consequences for their actions. But there's no big consequences. So this is a little bit off topic right now, maybe. But I've kind of been thinking that maybe characters in stories should face more consequences when I write them. That maybe those characters should have to deal with major things that happen that aren't just so easily solved. 
particularly I'm toying with the idea of killing off a main character. And I say that because I've been watching a lot of Pretty Little Liars um, analysis videos and basically everyone says that Pretty Little Liars, they really failed when they didn't kill off Emily in like season two or three. Basically, there were no stakes because nobody ever died. And I feel like my stories kind of lack stakes. Like, yeah, sure, bad things happen to the characters, but everything ends up okay in the end. And I feel like maybe there needs to be some higher stakes. So I'm kind of experimenting. I'm toying with that idea, tossing it around in my noggin, just like my chinchilla is tossing around bits of food in his bin and making so much noise. Let me go get him really quick. Just stay here. So, here's my chinchilla. He's been a bad boy today, so I figured I'd bring him out. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, he's so cute on camera. Oh my God, he's so cute. Look at him. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, he pooped on me. Um, but I've been experimenting with the idea of more stakes for my characters, like, why not kill off a main character? What's what's the problem with that? There is no problem with that. I can kill off a main character and the story still progress the way I want it to. So I've been toying around with that idea and specifically who to kill. Who, you know, which character when they come back or if they do come back, which character provides the most trauma? And I've been kind of toying with that. I've also never written like a true death scene like in the Wells House Phenomenon, I wrote the kind of death of Lila and the death of, uh, oh God, what was his name? The other brother's name, not Thomas. I wrote their deaths, so, but they weren't really deaths so much as like demons being summoned back to hell. And then in uh, We Just Call It Love, I wrote the scene where Billy murders his father, but it wasn't a true death because he ends up coming back. So like I said, there's no real stakes. Nobody ever dies. And even in the death scene where his father does die, it's just kind of a fade to black moment. So I, I just want to experiment with the idea of creating more depth and more consequences for my characters and just more actions that they can't control because it seems like usually when I write something, there's always some element of control for the characters and they have some way to control what's going on with them. Sure, there's things like the storm that they can't control, but they could have controlled being out there in the first place. So let's take away that sense of control. Let's take away any semblance of control and see what happens with our characters. Um, I don't know. That's just what I've been thinking about a lot lately, but I'm going to be honest with you. I've had the worst week and it seems to only be getting worse. Let me tell you. So I applied for this new job. I get a new job, right? This is, if you're not here for the personal stuff, I'll see you next week. But if you are here for the personal stuff, I got this new job, right? 
and I've been waiting. I put in my two weeks. I've been waiting. I haven't heard much from the new job and it's been making me nervous. So I finally hear from them and they're like, sure, we're going to send you some paperwork. Everything's going to be good. Then I hear from my old job and they're going to work me to the last second of the last day I'm working for them. Like no pause, no nothing, just mindlessly work me into the ground as a way of like getting back at me for quitting. And it's really frustrating to me because I've been so, I have been going above and beyond to make things easier. I mean, offering to drive things to them hours away, offering to drop stuff off for them, offering to do this, that, third, and they've just been making my life hell. So I've been having a really hard week. And then I wanted to record my, record my podcast and things were going on in the house and I couldn't record it. And then as soon as I finally get the chance to record, somebody decides that it's time for him to act up. Look at him. Look how cute he is. Look. Isn't he cute? If you're just watching this um, and you're not, or you're just listening to this and you're not watching, you're really missing the opportunity to see a really cute chinchilla. Look at him. Look, he's so cute. Isn't he so cute? Oh, he's so cute. Um, so I've had a really stressful week. And usually I really enjoy sitting down and recording. Um, and I did this week. But I feel like if I don't end it now for this week, then I'm going to end up hating myself later. So I'm going to end the recording here. We're not going to talk about what I don't like about this chapter this week because I like this chapter, okay? And I don't have it within me to be down on myself this week. Um, so I'm just going to be positive. And I'm going to be back next week with a new chapter, hopefully a chapter that's a little more exciting and that will keep your attention and maybe I'll have a better week so that I can record a little better. Um, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> I'm doing my best. So until next week. As always, you can email me at floorrejects at gmail.com. You can tweet me, floorrejects on Twitter. Um, let me know what you like or what you don't like about this chapter. Let me know what you like or don't like about this format. Let me know if you think this chinchilla is really cute, if you think he's so sweet, even though he's a little bastard and he makes a bunch of noise. Um, but besides that, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being there with me through this wild journey that is podcasting and trying to do something with my life that's creative. Um, and I'll be back next week. So thanks, guys. Bye.